We're all waiting for, this, for the techno guy upstairs, and then we'll go online. Okay, good. On YouTube too, right? All right. Morning. Officially. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, and we will continue with our second class, finishing the fifth chapter of Matthew. Uh, the next time we officially meet together, whether it's online or not, we will be talking about the resurrection impact what I'm planning on doing in the three classes on April 5th, whether we meet or not here in this building, uh, and the if you hear an echo, it's because no one's here to absorb sound. Uh, I miss all of you. Wish you were all here together. And I know there's a new Facebook crowd. There are a few people there, so hi, Facebook crowd. We are trying to simulcast on Facebook Live and YouTube, so prayerfully you're getting one or the other. If you're not getting one, go to the other. Or if it breaks down, go to the other. Um, but here's what we're doing. I'm, April 5th, I will be doing a resurrection timeline. There seems to be an enigma with how the different Gospels line up with the resurrection account. So we'll talk through some ideas, and I'll give you what I believe is the best uh, flow of events that happen after the resurrection. The next Sunday, we'll be doing Luke 24, the impact of the resurrection on the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And in the following week... April 19th, we'll be doing uh, 1 Corinthians 15 and the purpose and the necessity of the resurrection. So I'm looking forward to those three. And then after that, uh, Lord willing, uh, we'll be back to Matthew chapter 6 and our second chapter on the Sermon on the Mount. So let's go to the Lord in prayer as we open this this morning. Uh, Again, Father, I thank you for those uh, tuning in. I also lift up those that are having uh, significant issues that this brought on to them personally, financially, and so on and so forth. This uh demic that's going on. And also there is a, uh, a, a quite an increase of this uh, virus going around with people. Father, I lift up those that are uh, have caught it, that are carrying it. Uh, Father, again, this is... Uh, a crisis we have overcome. I believe truly we're not looking at the end times yet, but times are trending. Uh, the panic, I think, is a segue into people searching out their faith. Uh, maybe it is a, a come-to-Jesus type of moment. Maybe it is a wake-up call for many people uh, to know how to handle a crisis. You cannot do it uh, without the Lord. And Father, we saw that in the first class. This morning as we uh, finish off this chapter, we want to make sure we glorify your Son in all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Once again, I want to remind you that we're in the Sermon on the Mount. It is not addressed to us as a church, but there's many implications in there for us, and I think that's important. So Jesus has to take law that's been written by the Pharisees and scribes, and he has to tell the proper interpretation of these, since the scribes and Pharisees were interpreting it mostly for their benefit. Again, like I said in the first class, they were blind guides, spiritually unsensitive, leading blind people who were spiritually could not see, could not hear, uh, could not understand the word, and they were leading them uh, uh, straight to uh, hell, to be honest with you. And Jesus confronts them, and he says even to this uh, again, a reminder, in in this chapter of Matthew, he says, uh, your, your, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, your righteousness has to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. And then he goes into this, so that's verse 20, I say to you that unless your righteousness 
surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So he's talking about, he is the king, presenting the kingdom to his people, and it is a kingdom at the, that time that could have come if, if the nation of Israel, that generation, recognized their king. Obviously they did not. Uh, somebody once asked me what would have happened if they did. Well, they didn't, so we're going with what happened. And they didn't. Uh, when we get to Matthew chapter 12, we'll see the rejection uh, that the nation has of their king. Not all the nation, because obviously the disciples that followed were all Jewish. He only reaches Jewish people in Matthew chapter 10. The thrust was to go out to the nation of Israel, the lost sheep of the nation of Israel, not to even go to the Gentiles and Samaritans. So we know this is not church uh, because that's what, what the church does. The church tries to reach out to everybody. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, says this, and this is where we, we dealt with 43 last week. But it says this, You have heard that it is said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Well, it's never been said anywhere to hate your enemy. We discussed that last week. So this is what the scribes and Pharisees were taking upon themselves to say this is what the Word of God says. And Jesus says in verse 44, which we will uh, deal with today, He says, uh, But I say to you, love your enemies. Well, that's a crazy statement. I don't know of anybody that would walk around even today and say, love your enemies. So this came across as a crazy statement. But Jesus wants him to understand what righteous living is like. Uh, love your... It was, you know, love your neighbor and hate your enemies was common thought of the day. Uh, that was the normal, uh, you know, world viewpoint. I guess we could say that. Uh, the world view at that point was love your neighbor, hate your enemies. Um, but what does it even mean to love my enemies? And wh- and the question would also come up, what kind of, uh, who are my enemies? Uh, and that's kind of interesting. But if you notice, uh, one of the things that we have here, it says love. Love is the word agape. So this is two times in the same morning we have the same word. We talked about it in the second class, uh, I mean the first class about agape. Uh, basically, I would say this. Another idea of not only being sacrificial love, like we said in the first class, but it's, lo- it's action love. It's love uh, in shoe leather. So it's not emotional. It's not like saying I'm falling in love. I'm falling in agape love with my enemy. That's not what it's saying. That would be uh, in in itself kind of crazy. Uh, nobody want, would even kind of perpetrate that kind of idea. Nor nor should we. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but again, uh, we're talking about a non-emotional love. We are to act in love. We are to. Uh, be loving people by nature. We, we, we cannot feel love for those who attack us and hurt us or others, can we? But we can't act in love. We can't act in love. We can't say, I love them, but we can, our actions could be lovingly towards them. For instance, we could pray for them. I think this would be great. How about pray for their salvation? How about present to them truth? See, Jesus is telling people to act in love. Not as brothers, not as family members, not neurotic love. Jesus just wants them to have the highest good for others. Uh, I think it's kind of fascinating that to think this way, that we could try and uh, wish for the best in all others. And again, when we're talking about this time frame, what Jesus is saying, kingdom people in this time, not us today, but kingdom people, 
that will be in the Lord's kingdom, this nation, will have to show and express the same kind of love he does for everyone. You know, it says, for God so loved the what? My audience of two can respond and say, God, for God so loved the world. Uh, uh, that's not easy. If you look around, that's kind of, you know, the Lord's enemies are here on this world, and the Lord loves them. And how did he express his love? Well, his son died on the cross for everyone. He didn't die on the cross for five specific people. He died for all. And he took upon himself the sin of the world. Not just some sin, everyone's sin. So it's it's kind of interesting. Now, some of you that uh, have uh, different versions... It, it will say, uh, in other words, in verse 44 in the New American Standard, it says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And there is a variant in here. And if you could see it up on the screen, if Eric has it up here, the variant um, comes in. Let me kind of get my pen. And since I'm not in a hurry, and you guys are in your pajamas that are watching, uh, somebody took my pen, and I'm the only one that's been here. All right, we'll get it in a second. Okay, I guess we won't. Oh, there it is. Okay, we're good. Hang on. This is this is one of those moments. Oh, co- everything's getting in the way. My coffee. Um, if you have coffee, partake. I almost hit the bottom. So here, here's what I want want you to see. Um. This is the textual variant, so if you have a Greek testament, it may have this in here. It says, uh, bless those who curse you, and you will do well for those who are hating you. Um, I don't know if that's in the original text. It's a textual variant. Um, we're not really going to discuss those textual variants today. But if that is in the original, it's still an idea of praying. It still comes out of this idea of praying for praying for those Praying for those who are on behalf of, who are mistreating you and persecuting you. So it's the same idea there. So I just want you to see that there is a textual variant that adds to the text a little bit. Um, what it's giving is color, I guess is the best way to look at it. Uh, and it's, it's not teaching anything uh, wrong with that because I think what, what we want to do is understand who our enemies are. Uh, in light of what God's Word says, they're only enemies because they're not saved. They haven't had a relationship with Christ, and that makes them their enemy. So when we talk about agape love towards them, uh, this will not allow us to do as... Th- uh, we, we, we can't allow people, under this idea of agape love, t- to do as they please and go unchecked. Agape love says, I will correct you. I will uh, convict you of certain things and say what you're doing is wrong in light of... In light of the Scriptures. And I think one of the important things we do as we look for the best... Uh, for others, even who our enemies are, we want to look in light of the scriptures that's best for them, because uh, because guess what, punishing punishment by God may be an issue that they have to deal with. It may be their only option because if they do not believe, they are condemned already, according to John chapter three, and and God does. Uh, have a hate relationship with wicked and evil people, but God is also gracious and merciful to those who turn to Him. So, uh, obviously, we should be the same way. And when we pray for them, uh, we are not praying for them not to hate us, because uh, I guarantee you some of these people may still hate us. 
we are praying for them to come to the Lord. Uh, to, to, and, and here's the interesting thing. What Jesus says here, what's our first option? It says, but, you, but I say to you, love your enemies, and first option is to pray for them. What was, what's most of our first options? Well, well, let's ask this. What did Jesus do? You know, I know this is one of those what did Jesus do moments. But we know that Jesus prayed for his enemies in Luke 23 when he was on the cross. He, he prayed for everyone who, who had put him on the cross. Stephen, uh, another example in Acts 7.60, prayed for his enemies who were about to stone him to death. He prayed for them. Praying for enemies. And if they come to the Lord, you no longer have an enemy, you have a brother. So I think that's what Jesus is looking at here when he's talking to these disciples specifically. Uh, And Jesus gives reasons for the love and the prayers towards these people in verses 45 and 48 through 48. He says, in order that, or for the purpose that, you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. You want to be God's children, and proof of that is to love like God loved. Pray like God would pray. And I think that's interesting because it's allowing God to deal with the evil and good when we pray for, pray to him. Um, notice what it says here. which For he causes his son, S-U-N, to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. See, God has common grace that he's given to everyone. Uh, this morning, we could look outside and here's the common grace he's given. We're all under this pandemic. I know that doesn't sound gracious, but God says, I am not striking just these people. I'm striking everyone with it. Maybe it's a wake-up call, like I said. We're all under this uh, incident. Uh, God will, right now, I'm, rain's brought up some tulips and some nice flowers in my yard because God has rained on it. He hasn't rained on my house because I'm a believer. He's rained on everywhere so that throughout this city we'll see things blooming and blossoming. So praying and loving enemies is ours to do because God deals with the justice. And I think what we look sometimes is I hate my enemies because I want justice now. I want to get vengeance. I want to get uh, ahead of them. I want to beat them. I want to uh, win this game. But God, it's interesting, in Romans chapter 5, verse 10, know what it says? God loved us when we were yet enemies. And I think that's what we need to take home. So that's, that's reason number one. For loving and praying. The second reason he gives here in verse 46, For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax gatherers do the same? Therefore, when we talk about this, there's no reward. Secondly, second reason why we you know, love the enemies and pray for them, there's no reward to those who love you. If you love those who love you, what's the reward in that? That's just normal. Uh, when somebody said, uh, you know, I hate my dad or I hate my sister, that's not normal. That's abnormal. Uh, even if a child says that in the heated moment of being rebellious, it's not normal. We shouldn't take that as normal. Most of us would say rebellious teen, but they need a, a come to Jesus moment too, maybe. Uh, um, but here's what's being said that Jesus is looking at. There's no reward. Therefore, there is a reward for loving our enemies. Think about that for a minute. God has a reward for us, and I believe it's not only in this life and the next, but when we talk about this kingdom life that's going on here, think of a kingdom that there are no enemies to anybody. They're going to be living in a kingdom, and I think I believe the millennial kingdom will bring this forth, that when people live in that kingdom, they don't have enemies, and they're loving towards each other. Uh, there is not, a, it, and this is not, this is not an easy thing to do. 
but it is the godly, righteous thing to be doing. And it would be unlike the Pharisees and scribes. So we could look at it like this. The king, Jesus being the king of that coming kingdom, is blessing those in that coming kingdom who act in a godly, righteous way. And I think that's important to see. Notice what he says here, though, in verse 46. Do not even the tax gatherers do the same. Not even the tax gatherers do the same. Uh, These tax gatherers were collectors of taxation by the Romans, and they were usually Jewish, which made them a, and obviously the writer of this book was one of them. The writer of this book is Levi. Uh, Prayerfully you know that. Matthew's name here, his Jewish name is Levi. Maybe even from the tribe of the Levites, so he was in the tribe of priests. And instead of being, uh, his occupation was to be uh, a tax collector, a tax gatherer, and nobody loved them. They were probably the lowest of sinners. That's why Jesus is saying even the lowest of sinners can do this. Even the lowest of sinners can uh, uh, do the same. They can love the lovable people. Uh, uh, can love, uh, these lowest of sinners can love the loving. Uh, they are in their own minds righteous like the Pharisees. They have a righteousness they think they have. But God keeps records of how we respond to life situations in righteousness. So as we look at this target of hatred, this enemy, the enemy to the Jews at that point were these tax gatherers. So Jesus uses them as an example saying even your enemies love them, love other people. Even enemies love those who love. Would you give them a reward? And I think anybody in that audience would have said, no, I wouldn't give the tax gatherers anything. They're the lowest of all sinners. And uh, I would say this, it's easy to love those who love me. Those who like me, I like. Those who want to be my friends, I'll be their friends. But people that are not friendly to me, those that don't love me, I, they're my enemies. And, and Jesus said, well, be careful with that. Because here's another example, verse, the third example that he's, or reason for loving and praying. He says in verse 47, And if you greet your brothers only, what do you do more than others? Don't, do not even the Gentiles do the same? So he talks about one group, a Jewish group of people that had, uh, basically, uh, gone against Judaism and became a, a, a tax gatherer, tax collector, and put exorbitant taxes on the people. Now he's going to Gentiles. And every Jew at that time probably thought a Gentile was a dog. Uh, and a Gentile dog was basically a low vermin. So I, if you were going, who's the worst of all enemies? Was it the tax gatherer or the Gentile? Uh, probably even playing field there. And I think that's important as we look at that uh, to see that that playing field was kind of leveled out. Um, I'm not going to that, Eric. I'm just switching it. So as we look at this, um, here's what the Jews practiced and the Pharisees taught. When you made another Jew, you said, Shalom Alechem. And they would respond back, Alechem Shalom. And I think that's still maintained today. If you want to greet somebody uh, in, a, in a normal greeting, you say Shalom, which basically has the idea of, Peace and prosperity, a hello greeting, a positive greeting to a friend, someone you care about, a family member. 
but that but there was no greeting to a Gentile. You had no ability to greet a Gentile or tax gatherer. They they were repulsive. They had uh, basically uh, scorned their people and the Gentiles the same way. Uh, in the Talmud, it talks about. If there was a Gentile walking on one side of the street, you would not go on the same path. You'd go on the other side of the street. So that's how how much they were considered uh, enemies or distant people. But Gentiles greeted Gentiles, didn't they? Uh, so basically, if you're loving the people who are lovable, you're no better than a, a Gentile dog. You're, you're not different than the pagans who hated their enemies and loved each other, uh, loved those who were lovable. Jesus is calling to the disciples to a kingdom righteousness. And in order to do this, one has to be in a right relationship with the king. Now, we're talking about these disciples and those who were his followers. And I believe as Jesus was giving out this sermon, he was initially giving it to his disciples and the crowds began to grow. And I don't know who was in those crowds other than majority of them were Jewish. Some of them might have been Pharisees hearing this. But the king says, love your enemies. That's different than anybody else had said up at that point. Uh, the king uh, says, this is beyond your ability, more than likely. This is beyond the, the normal human way of thinking. But he goes, I want you to think like kingdom people. I want you to be kingdom people. I want you to have the righteousness that only I can give in a relationship with you. You cannot do this on your own. You only have the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. And this nation was to be distinguished from all others. Israel was to be a holy nation. How do holy people act? Well, they hate their enemies. No, no. They allow God to fight their battles for them, for the battle is the Lord's. They don't uh, reach out in vengeance to one another or to others. This nation was to be distinguish itself from all others on the planet because God had given them his word. The fourth reason that he gives for uh, loving and praying for your enemies is in verse 48. He says, therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Ready for this? Kingdom orientation is to have a godly character. Now, I know many of you today are thinking church back into this, and, and positionally, as a believer, we are in Christ, and we are uh, have His righteousness. But when we talk about kingdom righteousness and kingdom orientation, these di disciples were to be complete in Him. They were to be brought, and the word perfect there has to do with being brought to an intended goal, of being like the Father who is in heaven. The goal is to be like God. Uh, this is not sinless perfection. It's not the point here. What's The point here is maturity of those who believe and those who are uh, kingdom-oriented, those who have, have come to Christ and followed Christ, they are to have a godliness and a righteous, they are to be a godly and righteous people who meet His standard and reflect His character. That's what's going to be in the kingdom. There are going to be people that are reflectors of Christ. It says in First in John that we're going to be like him when he comes. So we too will reflect him. But this is talking about this kingdom orientation to this generation that was not getting it. The Talmud says this. It's interesting that the Talmud, the Jewish writings uh, uh, that have to deal with a lot of oral uh, law that was given out, it says, as God is, so shall you be. As God is merciful... So you too, be merciful. That's a really good understanding of what Jesus is kind of saying here in the Sermon on the Mount. 
This is not about getting into the kingdom. Remember, he's not talking to unbelievers in this Sermon on the Mount. He's talking to his disciples. So it's not a getting into the kingdom. It's kingdom people. This is God's purpose for them in the kingdom. These are what kingdom people are to be like. So as we as believers on earth, in a temporal fashion, we have real life, real rewards are ours in heaven. We will have heavenly rewards. Christ wants us to reflect that reality now, as believers today, it all begins with treatment of others and living righteously. But Jesus is saying, in the kingdom, these people will have the reward as they live life in a kingdom manner in that coming kingdom. Now remember, I believe most of Matthew is written with the orientation to that last generation before Christ is crucified, buried, and rose again, and it reflects in the coming tribulation a lot of it. And we'll see that as we get to Matthew 13, Matthew 23, 24, 25, and we'll see how that all that fits in wonderfully together. But at the same time, when we read this, we have to understand that there's implications for us. We who are in the body of Christ are asked to be imitators of Christ, of God. Are we imitating as, listen, this is Ephesians 5.1. We are asked to be imitators of God as dear children. We are God's children. How, who should we reflect? We should reflect our Heavenly Father. Shouldn't children behave like their Father? Part of this is eternal standards of God has set forth. He has mercy. He has holiness. He has love maturity, grace, all of this is for us, and we are to reflect these attributes. So here's some implications we're going to take away from this Matthew 5, 43 through 48. I'm going to give you some implications, and then I'm going to summarize the fifth chapter in, uh, I think I have six points, five points, so we're going to, and then we'll be done. And I hope and pray this is coming across well. It's very stiff for me to talk to an empty room. I'm not really good. Uh, I know I have a great face for radio, but uh, it's hard being a radio DJ uh, teaching like this. I like to see people's responses and not to see birds out my window that I'm looking out and my two lovely children in the room. So, And maybe my grandchildren tearing up the building. But, uh, but we all have a six-foot distance at least, so we're good. Uh, here's some implications. I want to give you four implications of this passage. First of all, if someone has wronged you, love them and take it and and look at uh, look to be and uh, to take action in love. Look to take to act, look to take action in love. Let me say it again. If someone has wronged you, love them. Look to take action in love and take them and take it to the Lord. Let the Lord deal with it. So, if someone's wronged you, secondly, would be pray for them often. Love them. What does that mean? Well, sometimes you have to be corrective. Sometimes you just got to uh, uh, keep them in a certain, uh, take a certain action toward them, but not uh, in vengeance kind of idea. And if someone has wronged you, pray for them. And I would say this, pray for them often. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, when it says, uh, pray for those who persecute you. Let me look back real quick. And while I'm t- talking, I can do this quickly. Nope, that's not where I'm uh, We'll get there. Hang on. Uh, if I, I just don't want to say anything that's wrong, but it says uh, pray for pray for them uh, is a present tense, which is interesting. Uh, I didn't say this since, so since I'm looking at it. And Eric, if you want to turn to it real quick, let me give you the... Uh, I'm not talking to myself. Eric is in the loft running the cameras. Um, but if you see this right here, pray for them is in the present middle tense. 
Now, let me tell you what that means. That means we're to continue to pray for them. How often? Well, how often is often? So if you have an enemy that's in your purview or in your thinking, pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for them. Uh, lift them up to the Lord. And it's in the middle tense, uh, middle voice, which is interesting because the middle voice says this. I will be involved in the action, and the action I'm taking is for my benefit. You get that? By praying for someone else, you're benefited by it. That's what it says right here in the Greek, and, 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 and I can't do anything else with that, that, that than, than say, that's what it says. It's middle, right there. See the, word, the idea of middle? Middle. That means you're involved in the action, and the action, you're the beneficiary of that. So you're praying for somebody else for your benefit. Kind of sounds selfish, but that's what God wants. Because praying for someone will help change your attitude. How long will that person be your enemy in your mind? Uh, how will you learn to deal with them if, you continue, if you're constantly praying for them? Uh, I, I was told something a long time ago. If you're going to talk about somebody, pray for them twice as much. So if you're going to use your mouth to talk about somebody or see somebody that's against you, how about praying for them twice as much? And the Lord says in this uh, usage of the Greek that is for your benefit. I think that's kind of interesting. Third implication is acknowledge this is very difficult. I think as we look at this for the disciples, it's difficult. The implication for us is we got to live righteously too because we have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit living in, uh, in through us, in this life through us. And I think it's important to see that as we look at this, we who are made righteous have to live righteous. And this is not easy. And we have to understand some things in the Christian life are not just easy. I think some people take the Christian life and say, wow, once I'm a believer, I'm it. I'm perfect. I've got everything together. And the moment they do something wrong, like they sin, and the moment they falter in the Christian life, they think the first thing is they're probably not a believer. And I go, how about growing? Let's go back to the flower analogy. We plant a seed in the ground. We call it faith. And it grows. How long does it take to grow that flower? Uh, I've never seen a seed instantly grow a flower. It takes time. And I think as we look at these things, we've got to understand the Christian life takes growth. Uh, so, And fourth implication is pray for the lost. Uh, pray, pray for the lost. Do good to all. And, and not only in deeds, but in words. We have to be reflectors of Christ. And I think that's important. Uh, so, what I want to do is quickly go through uh, a few points in closing. Uh, and here's what I'm going to do. Eric, you don't even have to deal with that anymore. I'm just going to talk about, real quick, five points, summarizing uh, where we've been in the Sermon on the Mount so far. And I hope the principles set forth in the Sermon on the Mount will help us see what kingdom living is like. Uh, and then chapter 6, listen, we'll get, we've looked at the principles set forth on the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 6, we'll look at the practices that that Jesus teaches his disciples, because in chapter 6 it says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men. So it opens up, it helps uh, the teacher, which is me, understand that that's a really good idea that he's talking about practicing. He talks about how to pray, gives instructions on praying to his disciples. So let's go through it real quick. Jesus dealt with the first misunderstanding of the law, which was uh, murder, the first law that he deals with, Murder, he says in verse 21, You have heard the ancients were told, Thou shalt not commit murder. Whoever commits murder shall be liable before the court. So the first thing he deals with, with, with murder. And what he says is, Reconcile with one another quickly. Uh, squash anger quickly. 
the root of the physical act, the root of murder, is a mental attitude, and you need to fix uh, life's issues before they build up to the point of, it, of murder. And I think that's really good for us by way of implication. Again, I'm doing uh, a, a kind of a implications for all of us in this section of Matthew. The second one he deals with is adultery. Uh, verse 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Adultery is not a just-happened sin. I think we talked about that enough when we went into it. Adultery just doesn't happen. Someone says, can't say, I just fell in love, I didn't know what would happen, and I just did it. Um, even those that say, well, it was just a one-night stand, well, it, something led up to it. And I think that's important for us to, to acknowledge is we don't slip into this sin and we don't take our, and, and God takes it very serious because it's just not a sin that doesn't involve the body. It involves the body. It is, and, and it's also a mental attitude that has been nourished. Somehow that person's gone astray in their, in their walk. And, and what basically Jesus is stating is please stop doing the things that feed the need. If you have a need to do this, you're doing something to feed that need. Uh, and it's to be taken very serious as if losing a part of your body as you're committing this adultery. Uh, do not place yourself in such a way as to stumble. Stay away from the water cooler. I think I mentioned during those classes the water cooler effect. In other words, you keep going to the water cooler. Uh, it's a place of uh, where you can meet the opposite sex somehow and continue a conversation that leads up to adultery, which leads to a divorce. And we know the Lord hates divorce. He has uh, dealt with people in their sin nature and allowed for it. But his, 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 again, his design is one man, one woman forever in that marriage bond. Thirdly, we dealt with us in, um, in verse 33. says, you've heard that ancients were told you shall not make false vows but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. Oath finds the issues that need to be dealt with correctly. Do not make mountains out of molehills. If you make a vow, keep it. Your yes should be yes, should always be yes. Let me say it differently. Not your yes should be yes, but your yes should always be yes. And your no always no. We are to be people of integrity. So are kingdom people. They are to be people of integrity. What is your... Can, can you be trusted? If someone says, I'll do it, and you say, okay, I'm, I'm going to count on you. Um, this morning I count on a couple of people that are sitting here with me. My technician on the floor down here is my daughter. She's running Facebook. And my son-in-law upstairs is running YouTube. And we're just flooding the uh, Internet with all sorts of understanding of the Sermon on the Mount because these two people said we would be here. And I said, I know they'll be here. And I left the door unlocked for them to walk in. Uh, when I'm all alone in this building. So I'm, I trusted them. But they're here. And you're prayerfully watching because they're two running that while I'm just uh, doing a monologue to two people. Or that would be a trialogue, I guess. I don't know. Uh, they haven't really responded. They, the one upstairs, may, no, he, I just heard him giggle. He didn't fall asleep, so we're good. Uh, the fourth law is the law on retaliation. Verse 38 says, You have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Uh, basically, uh, when we talk about recompense is necessary, uh, and we could probably bring up some uh, great analogies, but I'm not going to use them. But I, uh, what he's, what Jesus is saying is the, is um, the recompense should fit the crime. Uh, be willing to go beyond what the law says, though. So if the law says, uh, here's what you're to do uh, to recompense somebody for for a wrong done, 
be willing to go beyond it. Uh, uh, show grace to people. I say be a duck. I love that analogy because a duck, water rolls off a duck's back. That's why a fat old duck can float because the water doesn't affect him. And I think in life, sometimes we got to say, does this barb or something somebody's done to me, does it need to be uh, uh, addressed? Does it need to be dealt with? How should it be dealt with? Uh, do you let everything bother you? I think some people have such, thi- and we call it thin-skinned people, that some people have such thin skin that everything bothers them. And he says, basically, don't let these things bother you. Uh, move on. Uh, I think sometimes we have to uh, move on from things, and I think that's what we're dealing with here in this law of retaliation. Fifthly, the law of love, which we've dealt with this morning a little bit. We are to have compassion on all people. I don't think we should label uh, love your neighbor and because uh, Jesus even says to, in in the uh, parable of the Samaritan, the good Samaritan, and I don't know if it's a parable or really happened. I think it's one of those things that really happened. And Jesus said, what a great analogy. All these people passed by that had this outward righteousness, and the Samaritan, who was a half-breed, stopped and took care of the person because he didn't care if he was an enemy or not. He was a person who needed help. And sometimes we have to uh, look at somebody that needs help uh, we are to have compassion on all people. Help those who, who need it. God blesses us. Uh, blesses. God reigns on the just and the unjust. God's Son comes down on the just and the unjust. Uh, we are to care for others and should be as natural as caring for ourselves. Uh, one of the things I, I didn't mention this morning was that it says in verse uh, 43, it says, "Love You shall love your neighbor. Well, the original law says, Love your neighbor as yourself. They had left, the Pharisees had left that off when they taught, because why? Because they loved themselves uh, really well, and they loved their neighbors a little less well, and they really hated their enemies. Uh, we're to make it all equal. If we, we are to have a love for ourselves, but where does that love for ourselves come? Well, we, we are to have that same love for all, all mankind. Uh, so lastly, I'm going to finish with this uh, profound statement, I guess is the best way to say it. The problem of the Pharisee is they adjusted, thus saith the Lord. In other words, the Bible said this, and they adjusted it. They said, well, it might say this, and they changed it, or they, they added to it, or they subtracted to it. And many of you that have studied the Bible long enough uh, will know that's very demonic to start with. That's what Satan did in Genesis chapter 3. So we're not to be changing, we're not to be adding, we're not supposed to be subtracting from the Word of God. Uh, We are to read the Word of God as it is written and understand it is written, not what we desire it to say. We want to say, here's what it says and uh, move on with it. So prayerfully, uh, as we meet again later, about uh, after we do the three resurrection uh, lessons, we will go back into Matthew chapter 6, and we will deal with discuss, discussing uh, the practice of righteousness. So um, I'm going to encourage all of you in the coming weeks, if we don't meet together or however long this uh, pandemic or panic-demic and epidemic and whatever-demic it is, uh, whatever happens, please try and reach out by email, uh, phone to each other, spend time praying for each other. Uh, again, we'll try this. This is very difficult. I don't know if any of you have ever tried speaking to a room for an hour, an hour and a half, two different classes. It's it's difficult, but prayerfully, uh, I've 
uh, salted your taste for the Word, and you're going to reach out in the, into the Word and study during this time. Read God's Word. Spend time with your kids. Uh, learn, these, learn this phrase, go out and play with your kids. Um, uh, do things to, to get to know each other. We, we can pretend like we're living back in the, in the dark ages. At least we have electric, a, a dishwasher, a washing machine, those kind of things, refrigeration. Uh, but we're not, we're not totally shut down. Things could get worse. I'm not praying for it. Um, find people that had need to come to Jesus wake up call moment, and that's a good time to give out the gospel. Uh, we're going to pray, and we're going to close, and um, we're going to try and work on YouTube so I can go on it Monday, uh, Wednesday, and Friday in the morning. I'm looking forward to going to it, onto it. If we can get it working this afternoon, look for me Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 9:18 Central Standard Time. On YouTube, I will not be doing Facebook, but we'll try and do a little something uh, humorous, a little study on the Bible, uh, and just uh, see each other as best we can and being taught the Word of God. So that'll be 9:18. If you want to know why I say 9:18, because at least you'll know it's an odd time, and our area code here in Tulsa is 9:918. So that's why I chose 9:18. Uh, we'll probably go for. What is it, 32, 42, 52 minutes, whatever the number will be. Uh, So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time as we've opened up the Word together. I thank you for Eric and Stephanie being here running Facebook and uh, YouTube. I thank you for their willingness to help participate in this. I thank you that the the children, from what I hear, have not destroyed the building. Uh, but I also pray for all those that cannot be here this morning. I lift up many of our older people that are seeking shelter with family. I lift up some of our uh, other people that have been ex- may have been exposed. I think of Anna Mamana. I lift her up, Father, as she may have been exposed to this uh, craziness. And, and her husband, therefore, would, would also have been exposed. But we lift them both up. We thank you for others who are uh, dealing with other issues that are going on in their families. Father, we lift them up. Father, I lift up Liz, and she's home, can't be here this morning. She's in a, a leg splint because her knee is healing. I just be with her and her quick recovery because uh, I'm also now a caregiver to my wife, and, and I love it, but uh, at the same time, we, we got other issues, and thank God we've been given time. I pray for those that are uh, also, I want to lift up schools and, and businesses that are, that are having many, multiple issues going on. Father, we, I want to lift up the school teachers, the business owners, uh, that those that are going to fall on hard times because they, they survive by the, what I think I call the 24-day rule, and most businesses can only handle the 24-day loss of money. Father, just help our entrepreneurs because our uh, great America capitalism is built on a small business, Father. Again, I, I lift all these things up to you knowing you're a, a God who is in control, a God who is omnipotent, omno- all-knowing, and, and a gracious God. In Jesus' name, amen.